So we begin our reading John chapter 8 and verse 31. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He has murdered from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Yet, if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. There's a lot said in our culture about being authentic, about being real. But the problem that our culture has with that is is that it doesn't go to the right source for finding out those issues. Right? It doesn't go to the source of the Word of God. The Word of God is like a the owner's manual for our life. And if we go to there, then the Bible gives us the proper perspective. The Word of God guides us into that truth. And we discover things about ourselves. We discover that we're made in the image of God. But we also discover that we have fallen into sin and we're uh, corrupted by sin and in desperate need of a Savior. And you see, the problem within our society is if you try to find an authentic self by looking within yourself for the purpose of satisfying self, what it makes is narcissism. As we come to this passage this morning, I think the point of this passage, as we pointed out last week, is to be real. Jesus has got a group of people that as we ended verse 30 of chapter 8, they said that many people on hearing the things that Jesus said believed in Him. And then the very next verse, verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, to this same group, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. So you see, our be real is not find some authentic self inside yourself. We need it to recognize that our identity needs to be in Christ. Before we accepted Christ, before we put our faith in Christ, our identity was in Adam. We are sons and daughters of Adam. And Adam brought sin and corruption into the world, and so we existed within that same sin and corruption. When we come to the point where we recognize that corruption and we put our faith in Christ to deliver us from our sin, then our new identity is in Christ. The Bible tells us repeatedly, Our identity, our real self then, is found in Christ. We need to follow Him in order to be real. And that's what He's doing. is He's taking these people that have just said, okay, I believe in you. And He says, okay, if you're really My disciple, it's not another level of Christianity or anything. It is Christianity. We won't just 
hear it in what you say, we will see it in your life. And all through this section of chapter 8, he keeps talking about his word. If you abide in my word, remember that word abide, if you abide, continue, remain, it's translated all those ways, you continue, you abide, you remain in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Then you're really my disciples. You see, he's telling him he doesn't want any hollow words without, without truly believing in your heart. If you truly believe in your heart, then your faith will be more than your words. It'll be your actions as well. And that's, that's what he's looking for. That's what he hasn't been seeing a lot of. But he's looking for it in them, and he's looking for it in you, and he's looking for it in me. The, the whole key to it comes down to this. If we're truly, genuinely in Christ, then we abide in His Word. Now we looked at the first point last week, and I'm going to highlight a few, and then we're going to kind of move on. Okay, but the first thing that we notice is that His Word confirms. It confirms. Notice specifically the part where He says, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. Now, I think we do need to point out the interesting language here because He says, if. In other words, if you're genuine, if you're real, if your faith is real, He says, you will continue. You will, you will abide in My Word. But, it, but we pointed out last week, it doesn't mean you'll become. He's not saying that Christianity or discipleship is something you achieve. You are it the moment you put your faith in Christ. But what he's saying is, if you genuinely put your faith in Christ, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be visible. It's going to change your life. It's not if you abide in My Word, you will become My disciple. He says, if you abide in My Word, then you really are, even right now, genuinely, really, my disciple. And so that's what our abiding in God's Word does for us. It confirms our faith. It says, yes, your faith is real. Your faith is genuine. You know, it highlights this for us in several places. There's actually many in John chapter 8 that we looked at last week. I just want to point out one because uh, it kind of puts it just in a general statement. It says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you're not of God. And so Jesus is, is talking to these people that are rejecting Him, that are not following Him. And He's saying, look, uh, if you were of God, you'd be, you'd be following Me. You'd be listening to the words. You'd be hearing these things that would be sinking in it. You would, you would be affected by this. And He says, and you're not. In fact, He would go on to tell them that you can't even bear My words. There were, His words angered them. When we get up to John chapter 10 eventually, we're going to see also Jesus puts, this, puts it this way. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, look, Jesus, Jesus says, look, I have sheep, and here's how we know who are my sheep. They hear me, and they follow me. John chapter 14, verses 23 through 24, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word that you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. If you don't love God, you don't keep His words. If you do love God, you do keep His words. And it's really that plain and simple. Your response to God's Word either confirms or denies your faith. We can say that we have faith, but it will be either confirmed or denied by our actions and by our life that we live out before God. Now, Often at this time, I end up with people with questions. Well, what exactly does that mean? How do I know if I'm keeping it? Now, let, me, let me give you a little bit of comfort. This is not perfection. We're not talking about perfection. You're not going to be a perfect follower this side of heaven. 
If you read Romans chapter 7, even the Apostle Paul had an ongoing struggle with sin. He said, I find that the, uh, the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing, and the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he went right into thanking God that Jesus Christ is going to deliver him. We're not talking about perfection. But then what are we talking about? Well, one, we're talking about direction and affection. I remember way back when I was going off to college, a guy that kind of pointed me toward the college to go to that ended up good for me. He made a statement one time and he said, it's not about whether you are perfect. He said, it's about the direction you set your sail. And notice what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, what, what direction are you headed? If you can be described as following Christ, if you look at your life and say, Look, I'm following Him, I'm, I'm learning from His Word and I'm putting that into action in my life, I'm following Him, then you're going the same direction. You've got the right idea. Are you going to stumble from time to time in the things that you say? You're going to, you're going to be mean when you should have been nice. You're going to say the wrong thing. Or you're going to stumble into temptation and cave once in, a, once in a while or something like that. Yes, you're going to do that. The Bible says that the righteous man falls down seven times. But what's the difference? He gets back up. He keeps going. He gets back on the right track. He confesses that sin to God and moves on. Jesus says, follow me. You're going the right direction. The last verse that we just read talked about affection. He says, if you love me, you keep my words. You abide in my word. If you don't love me, you don't. So you see, it's about the direction that we set our life because of the affection that we have for for Jesus and the Word of God, that's what confirms our faith. You headed that direction. You have an affection, a, a love for the Word of God and and for and for God Himself and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what confirms your faith. It tells you, yes, you're on the right path. Not that you don't want to keep growing. You want to keep growing, but that's all just part of continuing to head that direction and abide in the Word of God. So the first thing that we've seen is that the Word of God confirms our faith. Well, the, the next thing that we see is that the, the Word of God enlightens. It says, and you will know the truth. The word truth is used in this passage several times. He's, Jesus says, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When dealing with the people that were antagonistic against Him, He says, look, you're of your father the devil. And guess what? He doesn't know anything about the truth. Why? Because he's the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character and it's lies. And you believe those lies and so you don't, you're not abiding in the truth. But what does he tell his disciples? He says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth. There's an enlightening there. You know, first of all, the word of God is the, it's the source of truth. John chapter 17 and verse 17, we're going to find Jesus says to, to the Father as He's praying for His disciples, He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Through that Word, through that Word of God and our constantly abiding in it, which involves two things. It involves this. It involves the Word of God. And it involves the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes the Word of God and opens our mind to it, enlightens us as we learn from it. Because you see, our hearts... Without the Holy Spirit, we're just in our natural state. We have a sinful nature. We're blinded to these realities and these spiritual truths. You know, I testify to my own experience, which my own experience is not an authority. The Word of God is the only authority. But my experience illustrates the truth that comes from the Word of God. You know, when I first met Lisa and started going to church with their family, I was pretty astounded by some of the things I was hearing. I'd be honest. When I first went to church, I wanted Lisa to invite me to church, 
But it was because then that would mean that she probably liked me. It really had nothing to do with God. But I got there and listened to the preaching. I thought it was really interesting. And you know what? It would take a year and a half. After about a year and a half, the Gospel finally sunk into my thick head and into my hard heart. And I realized that I needed to Christ and I put my faith in Christ. Well, you know what? It was amazing to me because when Lisa and I were dating and stuff, I would sometimes go home after a date and I would take out the Bible that her mom had given me for Christmas and I would look things up in the back of the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? And what's the Bible say about that? And I learned a few things. But you know what was amazing? is I think I learned more in the next month than I did in the year and a half coming up to that. And it's because the moment I put my faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit came in and indwells me. The Bible tells us if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we're not of His. If we are born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us that spiritual birth, that new birth. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to open our eyes to the spiritual things that are within God's Word. It's to teach us. The Apostle Paul talks about it at length in the book of, of 1 Corinthians. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 6 through, 6 through 13, he says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's saying, look, there's a, there's a lot of things that are hidden that nobody's understood. The rulers of this age haven't latched on to. There's a lot of things that are hidden that are mysterious. He says, but you know what? God has revealed them to us, these things to us, through the Spirit. So who are they, who are they blinded to? Or who are, they, who are they hidden from? Well, they're hidden from people that don't have Christ. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, it talks about Moses coming down off the mountain and he, and the children of Israel ask him to put a veil on to hide the glory of God. And, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, you know what, that veil is still there on Israel. Their, their eyes are still covered. They can't see because the veil is still there hiding all of this. But you know what, he says, in Christ, the veil is taken away. The veil is removed. When anybody turns to Christ, the veil is removed and you can, and you can see clearly. And that's what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is he's saying, look, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, there's a blindedness. Things are hidden. But God has revealed them to us, but they only come through the understanding of the Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? You know, I've had a couple of times this last week where different people have approached me and said, you know what, I've been wanting to talk to you about something because you said this. And as soon as they started to say it, I was like, oh, yeah, sorry, that's not how I meant that to come across. And then I got the chance and I was thankful for the opportunity to say, you know what, this is what I meant actually by what I said. This is the point, and I used a little more time to explain it, and they're like, ah, oh, okay, I was thinking maybe maybe you had something else in mind. And that's what this is saying here, is who really understands somebody else except for the 
spirit in which they were saying it. And actually, in one case, it was like, well, actually, I was, I was kind of meant that to be a little bit of a joke. I'm not that funny of a guy, so it doesn't always come off like it should. But I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean that the way you took it. I meant, kind of meant that to be a joke. But and it, So it says, except for how, how can you really understand somebody? Except the spirit that w- is within them. You've got to know how they work on the inside to under, understand them completely. And he says that so also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so he's saying, look, you need the Spirit of God in your natural self. You don't latch on to it. You don't understand. You don't, you don't get it. That was so what I experienced. I couldn't believe in the next month how fast I was learning and how much it was opening up my mind to the things of the Word of God and the truths that I was grasping now that were just going right over my head before. Well, he goes on in verse 14. He says, "...the natural person..." So the person without the Spirit... The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't welcome them. In other words, move that up to the passage that we're talking about in John. He doesn't abide in my words. He doesn't continue to remain in my words. He says the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They just look foolish to him. doesn't make any sense to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, on the other hand, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. He says the spiritual man judges all things. What does that mean, judges all things? I think if we use a different word that means the same thing, it actually will help discern. The spiritual person discerns all things. It's the same word. It means the same thing. You're making judgments. You're forming opinion. You're understanding When we look at John in this passage here, he says, you follow me, you'll be my true disciples, and you will know the truth. You will know the truth. Why? Because that's how it works. Because the Word of God, if we truly believed, has that enlightening effect. It teaches us. You'll know the truth. And then it brings us to the next effect that it has in our life. It frees us. He says, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Somebody steps up to answer him right right off the bat about it. He says, hey, look, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been enslaved by anybody. And as I pointed out briefly last week, um, obviously they forgot about the time in Egypt because if, if they're speaking as a people, which it looks like they are, then they were in slavery for 400 years and within Egypt. And, and so I don't know what he's thinking about there. And then even at the time that they're at right now, they're actually under Roman rule. So they're actually kind of in some level of bondage. Which the Jewish people hated being in bondage to the Romans, but they were in that kind of bondage to the Romans. But they say, hey, we're not in bondage to anybody. It never ceases to amaze me. People that are in bondage never think that they're in bondage. There's a lot of people out there that you'll come across in this world that think that they're free and they're calling their own shots and they're running their own life and they're doing what they want to. And you know what? They're in bondage. They're in bondage to those very things that they want. They're in bondage to the passions and they're in bondage to the sin that they participate in. They're in bondage to the blindness that, that they don't see clearly, what uh, have a proper world view or view of the world because they don't understand the truth of the Word of God. They're in bondage in so many different ways. And that's why Jesus tells him, he says, look, you 
Abide in my word. You continue in my word. You'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It is absolutely freeing. I remember that day that I put my faith in Christ, realized the reality of God's Word and the Gospel in my life. That Word describes it better than anything else. I felt totally free. I was released of my sin. I was forgiven of all my sin. I was embraced by God, accepted. I was free. There was a time earlier in my life, about my senior year in high school, that I decided I was going to be free. Who was the rule over my life at that time? School, parents... I decided that I was going to push every authority to show that I was in control, that I was the boss, making the decisions in my life. It didn't take long. At one point, I was kicked out of school for three days. Not totally kicked out. Got to go back. Lost my job. Kicked out of my home. And I knew it was coming. I pushed pushed my dad to it, actually. Had another place lined up to go, which wasn't all that stellar. When you're living in a concrete basement, under three bachelors and they're doing their laundry in the middle of the night while you're trying to sleep. You don't feel that free. It didn't have that freeing feel to it that I thought it would have. There was a concept that came into my mind. People only have as much authority in my life as I'm willing to give them as long as I'm willing to pay the price. And I thought, I'm willing to pay that price. And so I started just doing what I wanted when I wanted. Did it make me free? I was in bondage. I didn't realize it for a while. So finally, I was sitting around a table one time. My dad had just showed up at the house I was living in to pick up the shotgun that was mine, but he bought it for me. And he was trying to put a little pressure to get me to come home. I said, fine, take it, and he left. I was sitting there around that table, and one of my friends, who didn't have nearly the comforts of home that I had at my old home, and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? He's like, this just doesn't even make any sense. You had it good at home. And you know... Finally then, all of a sudden it dawned on me, this is not freedom. And I went home and I asked my parents if I could move back. And my dad said, same rules. I said, I know that. I'm good with them. And I went back and completely submitted myself under their authority again. That was freeing. That was freeing. You know where you're the most free? You're the most free in the environment that you were created for. A child is most free in the boundaries of what their parents set for them. It's within those boundaries that the parents set that the child really finds freedom and protection. We're created for a relationship with God. If you look back at the beginning, Adam and Eve were created to dwell in the garden with God in righteousness, in holiness, in love. That's where we're the most free, is within that relationship with God that we were made for. I remember speaking at a camp one time and I went down to a Walmart and I bought a fish bowl and a little goldfish and stuff and I brought it back to camp with me. And I said, look at this little goldfish in that bowl. Look at how, look at all this room that we have out here. He's so confined. And I pulled that goldfish, took a little net, and I pulled him out and I set him on the pulpit. And the girls all went crazy. And the boys thought it was cool. And that little fish starts flopping around and just lying there on the podium. And I didn't leave him there long, and I put him back in the bowl, gave him to, if I remember right, probably one of the girls that was most worried about him. The point that I went on to make is I said, where where was the goldfish more free? That goldfish was more free in that even in that little bowl than all of this room out here. Why? Because that's what he's made for. That's the realm that he's made for. You know where you're most free? It's in relationship with God. It's in holiness and righteousness with God. That's what you were made for. That's where you're most free. 
If your idea of freedom is casting off all restraint, you will find nothing but bondage. You'll become enslaved to the passions that you have. Whatever it is that you're thinking that you need to cast off all restraint to be able to pursue, that thing will enslave you. You know, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, the, the point that Jesus makes, the truth will set you free. The Apostle Paul would dwell on this again at length in Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says, look, whoever you yield yourself to, that's who you're enslaved to. He says, if you yield yourself to God, then you're the servant of God, you're the slave of God. But if you decide not to, if you're going to yield yourself to sin, if you're going to obey, whoever you obey, that's who your master is. If you're going to obey sin, you will become enslaved to sin. Look around. There's no shortage of groups to help you over addictions to just about everything that you can think of. Right? There's alcohol addictions and drug addictions and there's food addictions and there's pornography addictions and there's addictions for about everything that you can think of. Because what starts out looking like freedom, oh, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. Uh, that's not the goal that it has for your life. It's going to bring you into bondage. You know when you find freedom is when you embrace Christ and you continue in His Word. Lastly, the Word of God, the Word regenerates. If we look a little bit farther down into the passage, in about verse 51, Jesus again makes another statement about His Word. And He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My Word, he will never see death. You say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't we, don't we die? If we look back in John chapter 5 and verse 24, John had already said, recorded Jesus saying, as saying, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He is passed from death to life. You see, our condition, even while we're alive, physically, our condition before God is dead before we put our faith in Christ. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we pass from death to life. In chapter 5, verses 38-40, through 40, he went on to say, and you do not have His Word abiding in you. Same thing he's saying in, in John chapter 8. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And as they that they bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you might have life. And then I also think of John chapter 11, verses 25-27. This is Jesus talking to the sisters, Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead yet, but nobody else knows it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So the point is this. The moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are... Regenerate. We are. We have been given new life. We are now alive. We enter life. Before that, even though we were alive, we were actually dead in our trespasses and sins, like Ephesians says in the beginning of chapter two. So we were alive, but we were dead. But now that we put our faith in Christ, we're alive. And you know what happens if you die? You live. You're alive. The moment you close your eyes on this side, you open them on the other side. Yes, we experience physical death, but we open our eyes right away in life. Just in the grave, our body goes in the grave, only to be taken back out later. But we are alive. Like Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear My voice. They follow Me. And I give them eternal 
life. So Jesus, he has this group that says, I believe in you. Jesus says, then continue in my word. If you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. The word, Jesus' word confirms our faith. Jesus' word enlightens us. Jesus' word frees us. And the word regenerates us. It gives us life. 